Hey gang, Chad Madden here, and wanted to record a video for you. Got a really good question. I believe the practice owner's name was Robert, and they said, you know, what what can we do about declining reimbursements? And uh, this is something that's affecting a, a lot of physical therapists. And if you look at the the trends of the last 20 years, what's going on is we have inflation, so we're paying more for uh, staff, you know, through salaries, whether we're talking front office or clinician uh, or biller. We're paying more for health insurance, so employment expenses have gone up, space expenses have gone up, um, and in general, the cost of doing business is more. At the same time, our reimbursement relative to inflation is actually has decreased, right? So um, it, it, it hasn't been a positive for us with regards to the income side relative to reimbursement. I think across the board in the last 20 years, um, our reimbursements have only gone up on average across the board 29%. If we look at all 50 states, not good. And again, that's less than inflation. So um, we opened up the conversation a little bit on the state of PT. And basically what was going on is uh, this consensus that the government or an association or some form of bureaucracy, litigators, things along those lines, they must pass legislation or something. They must do this to save us. And unfortunately, I don't think that's a very good way to look at things. And if I'm going to be politically correct, which I'll probably go on a rant here in a second, but we want to do something that's called, we want to make believability weighted decisions. And this concept is from uh, Ray Dalio's principles book. You can read that, but basically we want to say, okay, um, does the government have a history of increasing, you know, stepping in uh, with regards to healthcare and, paying physical therapists more. I would say there's not much of a track record in the past indicating that that's gonna happen, right? This isn't something uh, from experience, th th there's no believability there. Same thing with associations. Is that track record there where uh, associations will step in, professional healthcare associations will step in and magically wave their wand and get insurance companies to pay physical therapists more? I don't see that happening. Uh, in the history. And and by the way, if you do know of it, please let me know about it. Maybe I'm missing something here. Same thing with any other, uh, you know, form of bureaucracy or uh, litigation, anything like that. Right? So that's kind of very whimsical, a wish and a prayer. Here's, let me cut to the chase. It's not going to happen. Right? So uh, quick personal story. Seven, eight years ago here in central Pennsylvania, um, we had a, a, something called a tiering, a private insurer, uh, put every physical therapist into tears. Um, they kind of did away with that system now, but at the time it, this was devastating. Then there was this movement going to come up from uh, that was going to come up from Florida and revolutionize healthcare, similar to what HMOs um, promised that they were going to do. This was called ACO, right? So we were all going to be working for the hospital system, and the, the values of our practices were going to crash, and um, you know this was going to decimate everything. I was with a group of 10 or 12 other private practice owners here, again, local to central Pennsylvania. And um, I had probably been to half a dozen meetings and just listening to what people were saying. And there was a lot of complaining, right? And the, the, the consensus was they need to do something, right? Not what can we do, what can we control? And don't worry, we'll get there in a second. And I remember uh, there was a very experienced practice owner in there. His name is Tim Drevna. And, uh, and this, by the way, this is before breakthrough. So, we're in this meeting and 
Tim said something along the lines of, he called me out and he said, your silence is deafening. And I said, I, I'm not sure what that means, but I think you want me to say what I'm thinking. And he said, yeah, please share. And I said, well, you know, we're doing a lot of fear-based stuff here, uh, fear-based stuff. And we're re like, anytime we're relying on an outside body, people that we don't know or a body that we can control to shape our own destiny, that's problematic. And I said, I'm going to put all my chips on marketing and marketing my private practice. And I, I see a lot of other therapists, they're not utilizing, you know, their ability to go direct to the consumer via direct access, um, even if they don't have direct access. And this isn't being done well in the marketplace. I think it's something that we can stand out with. And I'd rather focus on that, right? Tim and I are still good friends today. There's a few other practice owners in there. And I just said, this is what I'm doing. And I stopped going to the meetings. And, um, but I wanted to do something that was believability based. And I had known other businesses that had turned it around with an effort in marketing. They had revolutionized their business. They took control of the reins and they were able to literally turn the ship around. So the other thing that happened is in the state of PT, there was a, a gentleman on there, Steve Mountain. Uh, Steve Mountain is, uh, has been in the PT game for quite a long time. Um, and he understands our industry really, really well. And uh, he said, you know, physical therapy is the low cost option. And I had never thought about that before, but it was something that stood out to me. And I was like, wow, that is right. We're always going to have a place. You know, we provide better outcomes for less money than anybody else in the healthcare industry. And we're conservative care. Trend is on, you know, the, the trend is up for conservative care and truth and avoiding surgery, medications, injections, especially when they're unnecessary. So that's something in our favor. The, the next thing that I want to share with you here today, though, and the, the meat and potatoes of, of this video is, you know, what can you control? There, and, and, and this might be surprising because we can say, hey, this bad thing is happening to us. There's nothing we can do about declining reimbursements. And 20 years ago, I would have agreed with you 100%. But today, I know that not to be true. We've turned our practice around. I know other pra private practices that have done the same exact thing. And I want to give you seven things that you can look at um, to control before you go relying on somebody external that is outside of your practice to save the day for you. So number one is you can influence your payer mix. Now I know this might be absolutely shocking, but if you have a bad payer on, you know, it within your payer mix, let's say 15% of your um, payers are with a private health insurer who gives you $50 a visit regardless of what you do. Even if you're treating somebody for three different areas and they're in your clinic for two hours, they only give you $50, right? You're losing money on that. And you might want to play victim and say, woe is me. The other thing that you might want to do is drive in enough new patients, attract enough new patients, create a waiting list that you can actually go out of network with that company, right? That's something that you could control. I know almost that same exact thing happened to us years ago, and we had a few local POPs practices in the hospital system. They opted out of a, a local contract, and then they were referring us this pair that was giving us about $50 a visit. And what we ended up doing is creating enough of a waiting list where we were able to minimize um, that pair, right? So it, it wasn't a big deal for us. The other thing that happens is like, just think through this, you know, it, if a physician refers you a patient and that's 
where you're getting the bulk of your new patients from. That's pretty whimsical. There's no way that you can control the type of patient or the type of insurer that, it, that a physician is sending you, right? Where if you can go direct, direct to the consumer, you can absolutely influence that. We can go to, uh, for example, I'll give you two quick ideas. You can go to uh, large employers in your area that carry the best insurance, something that you participate with and that you want to accept, patients that you want to work with, or you could go to more affluent populations of people in your direct response or your direct access type market, right? So we can influence payer mix and we can do that in a positive way. Second thing that we can do, which I just mentioned, is we can go direct to the consumer. Right, we can go direct to the consumer. I have to abbreviate there, but you get the idea. Um, we can go, and, and by the way, 20 years ago, patients just kind of did what their doctors told them to do. Today, patients are advocates. This is the information age. They're gonna research. They wanna, you know, if somebody says they need a total knee replacement because of a bone on bone x-ray, well, they're probably gonna research, and if they don't want that x-ray, they're, and they're motivated, and they're motivated not to get the surgery, they don't want the surgery, or they don't want to do injections or something like that, and they're looking for conservative care, they're gonna go online and they're gonna find you, right? So we can have good advertising, that's something that we can control, that we can feel good about, we can go straight to the consumer, we can educate them, we can give them information about what they can do for their problem. Direct to consumer, right? You can control the rings. Next thing is we, something called ADL. Now let me explain what that is. Um, we work super close with uh, awesome private, former private practice owner who now has done billing for the last 19 years. His name is Bob Kowalik. Bob is a genius in terms of uh, billing. And Bob uses a score called ADL. And basically what it is, is a measure of how fast we get paid, right? So yeah, reimbursements might be declining. If it's taking you two times to 10 times longer, than what it should take for you to get your, your money in, to get paid for the services that you're providing today, that's a problem. You're not gonna be able to scale. If we can get that down closer to one, um, where if we're to be collecting something in 15 days, we actually do collect it in 15 days, that's significantly better. We'll talk more about billing in a second, but that's your ADO score. That's something that you can work on and tighten up your billing systems um, there as well, so you're getting paid more quickly. Fourth thing that you could do is you could add in a back-end cash pay. So, if I, I know one of my favorite stories ever is uh, Bob Bocci, California. Uh, Bob is in a not necessarily affluent area, uh, lower income area, and um, they, I, I think they did three laser units right now, three light force laser units. And what they did to supplement um, and really augment their treatment is they put in light force lasers. It's a cash pay service. Bob doesn't charge a lot for it. Uh, they were his words, not mine. Um, but basically one out of six patients buys a laser package and they do so in cash. What does that do? Well, that adds $5 per visit in cash that they collect before the delivery of service. So think about how great that is. That they um, So they add $5 a visit across the board. Pretty big deal. I think he's doing about 36,000 uh, visits per year right now. So quick math, that's 180K a year coming in in cash. Not a bad deal, right? Something he could do 
Um, he didn't rely on the government or an association of the bureaucracy to change something for him. He wasn't waiting on legislation to get passed. Um, he went out and made a change. Pretty cool stuff from Bob Bocce there. Next thing that you could do is you could think about where, where your existing clinic is or where you're going to open up your next one. Um, I know for us, we've gone through this now three times in the last 12 months, but planning a, a clinic and thinking about where do affluent people live who are conservative oriented, right? You're going to want to think through that. Who do we want to attract to our clinic? Where do they live? Where do they work? Where do they shop? What's the main corridor? And where can we be on one of those main corridors and do it inexpensively, right? Pretty simple, but you can control where your clinic is. Right? I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, I chose to be here right? because I lived here growing up and stayed here. Not regretting it in any way. It's fully under my control, and I'm very happy that we're here. It's a great place to raise a family. Same thing for you. You control where your clinics are. Something else that you control. The sixth thing is another billing thing, but we actually want to get paid for what we're providing. Right, so, uh, you know, truth be told, I get to talk with a lot of physical therapists, and usually when we dig deep, and they'll say, hey, this is the problem up front. So, for example, I didn't get to do a deep dive with Robert, but he wanted, you know, the association to step in and handle declining reimbursements. And I think that's very wishful thinking. Again, I think I belabor that point. But typically, on a call with somebody like Robert, I would have the time to dig deeper, and usually there's a financial issue. And for most of us, um, especially small private practice owners, you know, that we're doing less than $3 million a year in revenue, we're typically living, uh, our well-being is directly tied to the checking account balance of our private practice. So if we have a payroll, if we've had to pay taxes and everything gets strained out, and we have, you know, another expense, rent coming up in a few days, we get nervous, right? So rather than look at our actual accounting systems and our billing systems, we blame something else. Classic, right? So we're managing our business financially by checking account balance, not healthy. And something that we could do instead is we could look at directly at our billing. Are we actually getting paid for what by what we produce? And I know uh, Mary DeLong and the entire team at BCMS, they do a ton of work. They've helped us out. They've helped out lots of other private practice owners as well. And, you know, you want to take a look at something called redundant coding. You want to know the difference between AMA billing and the Medicare uh, type billing as well. You might be leaving money on the table, and you don't want to do that. So you can talk with Bob Kowalik at CRS and Mary DeLong um, and her team over at uh, BCMS, and they can help you out with that. So getting, actually getting paid for what we do, not speed, but making sure that we're, if we provide, you know, 55 minutes of therapeutic care, are we just resorting to 97140 times two, 97110 times two? Are we, are we a little more skilled with our, what we're actually delivering? Something for you to look at. I know we were leaving money on the table, about $8 a visit uh, when we made that change. So something for you to look at there. And then finally, the last one is you want to look at really asset utilization. And what's asset utilization? Well, your two biggest assets are space and personnel. 
right? So if you've invested in space, let's say you have 2,000 square feet and you're seeing 60 visits a week, you could see about another 140 visits a week there, right? So you want to maximize that. Why is that a big deal? Because that's where your margin is. If you have space that's underutilized or not being utilized at all, you want to fill that up as quickly as possible. How do you do that? Well, you figure out how to do direct consumer marketing. By the way, um, if you haven't learned about direct to consumer marketing, direct access marketing, even if you don't have direct access, I have a ton of tools over at learnwithbreakthrough.com. You can go over there, lots of goodies. Um, you can hear stories of other people that have done the same exact thing that I'm talking about doing here. They've taken control of their business, their private practice, and they're able to mitigate the declining reimbursements. Anyhow, we want to use, make sure our assets are fully utilized, whether we're talking about space or whether we're talking about personnel. Nothing worse than having a physical therapist on our payroll who's and they're full time and they're seeing 17 visits a week, right? That's, you're not going to be able to pay the bills long term with that. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen in a few outstanding cases where practices have just gone out of business because of the declining reimbursements, because they completely ignored the variables, the seven variables that they actually can control. So I'm sure something resonated with you here when we were talking and you were like, hey, yeah, I can control that. Go do that, right? For the sake of private practice in the industry, this works really well when we all control what we can control and we, we don't rely on uh, wishful thinking or uh, you know false hope that somebody's gonna come in and, and save the day. It, that's not gonna happen. Again, what can happen, physical therapy can be in its rightful spot. We can, uh, sure, we can be the low cost, the most effective option for the healthcare dollar. We can help with the healthcare crisis that's going on right now in the US, but what it's gonna take is that every private practice owner controls what they can control. I'll republish uh, the list of seven here for you and expand on it if you have any questions. Otherwise, you can head over to learnwithbreakthrough.com. This is Chad Madden with Breakthrough. Thank you for watching. If you found this helpful and you wanna learn more, then head over to learnwithbreakthrough.com to access our free in-depth training tutorials. That's learnwithbreakthrough.com. Thanks again for tuning in.